This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And good day, Josh Silverin, for Bill Newman on your Monday. We have a great show lined up for you today. A, a lot going on. We're going to whiplash you around. We're going to be talking to a, a fantastic guest named Lucy Caldwell, who's going to be talking about what is uh, giving us some insights into what is happening on the conservative side of the ideological spectrum in the United States. What has gone awry? We're going to be talking to the folks at Laudable Productions, talking about local music. We have an excellent Black in the Valley. We've got Monty. I'm Josh Silver, in for Bill Newman. I'm not Bill. What do you do, Josh, for those who might not remember? Oh, I'm the executive chairman of Represent Us. I've been a democracy reformer for many, many years and a Valley resident. And I'm just excited to be back as the guest host. We love having you. To, to, Mar- to Monty's chagrin. Uh, Lucy Caldwell is a tech, former technology executive, uh, worked for years uh, at CrowdScout, uh, an advocacy, online advocacy platform. Uh, before that, she spent many years at the Goldwater Institute. Has uh, She was the short uh, short time uh, for a bit, a minute, was the campaign manager for Joe Walsh's uh, campaign to try to uh, disrupt the Donald Trump campaign and get an alternative Republican nominee elected. Um, and she is one of the smartest people I know in um, in politics. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You say for a short time, for a minute, it was from the beginning to the end, but it just shows what a kamikaze mission anyone trying to defeat Donald Trump in 2020 was on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> so Lucy, uh, you know, you have a unique uh, sort of pedigree in that unlike uh, many people who listen to Bill Newman's show and live in the Northampton area, uh, you came up on the political right in the state of Arizona. You spent many years in conservative politics. You broke from the Republican Party years ago w- w- during the ascension of Donald Trump and broke very squarely away from Donald Trump. But I think you have a, a unique insight that a lot of the listeners of this show want to hear about, which is trying to understand a, a little bit more, say, from within, as someone who has followed that journey yourself, what what are the fundamental aspects of the conservative right in the United States that has it so far off the rails today? Hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this in a different way over the weekend because I was thinking about a common refrain, which is this idea that Donald Trump is a unique threat to the country or to democracy, as though Donald Trump was this this thing that happened out of nowhere and that we just need to we just need to quell the threat of Trump. Trump is not a unique threat. <laughs> the Republican Party is a unique and specific threat to American democracy writ large. And I left the Republican Party in 2015. I left the Republican Party because I could already see long before Trump, and many of your listeners are saying like, yeah, well, we never joined or well, we could have told you that and, you know, 2008, 2004, and I get that. But by 2015, even among the 17 Republican primary presidential candidates ahead of the 2016 cycle, there were very few people on those debate stages that I felt like I could ever be willing willing to vote for. And I think if you track back to the Obama years and, and even before, you can really see that the road to hell was paved in meh intentions. I think that the rise of birtherism, the rise of, of um, the, 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 really the, the, the balance and the backlash to progress, right? And, and the idea that the Republican Party had had, it was an all comers, we're going to have everyone on the bus, it's, we're going to form these non-traditional coalitions. That's the work I was doing at that time all over the country. But pretty soon, the crazy people were not only at the front of the bus, they were at the front of the bus and, you know, <laughs> throwing everybody else off. And so, so I, I think that it's, it's really a, a, a case of a party that has been consumed by otherism, a party that, um, that really, I think, continues to promote and be successful because of that horrible dialogue. And at the end of the day, the Republican Party is becoming smaller in reach and it's becoming a more regional party, but it's becoming increasingly increasingly nationalistic and it's not shrinking fast enough amidst Democrats, I think, 
probably being in for their own reckoning. It's it's a real problem. But if we if we look if we back out the lens and we look at these major factors, these forces that are blowing on American politics and pushing people to the extremes and driving the dynamics you're describing. One category, of course, would be our broken election system, something that I talk about all the time, gerrymandering, winner-take-all elections, and the way that the sort of it, it pushes too much of the, of the game into the primary elections where few people turn out and they are reliably the most extreme. Then you've got the rise of digital media and what the professor, NYU professor Jonathan Haidt, talks about all the time about how not only when you know Facebook and and Twitter created the like button and the retweet and they started monetizing their platforms and the most explosive extreme happens to be untrue content would be the most sticky and the most uh, conducive to making money on through ads that that was like not only did it did it raise political polarization dramatically around 2009 2010 2011 but you also saw skyrocketing incidences of, of teen suicide and anxiety and depression in this just sort of Pandora's box. And then you've got the, the, the continuing rise of inequality, the shrinking middle class. People are, 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 don't have enough money now. The gas prices are high and they feel like they're, they're, their very survival is at risk. When you look at this kind of cacophony of different external forces, do you, as someone who came up on the, on the right, do you see some as much more uh, sort of playing a, a greater role than others on, on the right? I think it's hard to unpack the interplay between media and consumption and people's behavior online. The What I would say are the kind of former in, in of the things you just laid out with the latter, which is actual economic insecurity, actual sense that things aren't going as well as they could. Someone else is getting ahead. I don't think that it's this is a perfect way to describe it, but I think that the former, a lot of that online behavior, and I would put aside things like teenage behavior, because we should just focusing on adult voters, right, who are formed, yeah. well-formed people. I think that a lot of the social media piece, I'm probably less in the height camp and more in the Tom Nichols camp, in the idea that a lot of that is actually a reflection of what's going on in our real lives. But there's no doubt that the siloing of the way that people consume content and the fact that you can have a media diet where you never hear from anyone who disagrees with you does play a part. And there's another factor that I've been seeing a lot in polling recently and that comes up a lot and that we should all be thinking about ahead of November, which is this really odd phenomenon where people are polled and they basically report that the the world is on fire, everything's falling down around them, but that things are actually going pretty well for them individually. So an example of this would be like, um, you know, our education system is falling apart, children are being indoctrinated into progressive leftist policies, critical race theory, this, that, and the other thing. And then next poll question is, how do you feel about your, your own kids homeroom teacher like, pretty well yeah i like those mm -hmm. i like that teacher but what do you so you have this this weird culture warrior thing happening that is different from the reality of people's individual lives what do you say to to folks who believe that the the more farther left factions that have focused on things like defund the police and the so-called wokeism and um, and sort of the calling out culture that that has driven the right even farther right. Do you agree with that? Yes, I absolutely do. And I think that the Democrats are their own worst enemy. I think the critical race theory piece is a perfect example of this. So you think about recent elections where that's really reared its head. Now, there's a reason, there's, there's some kernel that people at the Heritage Foundation and other right-wing shops are picking up on. There's some kernel that's true that they're picking up on when they rally parents and say, this scary thing is happening to your kids in schools, right? You know, they're being indoctrinated, they're being told they're racist. We know that's not true. We know that's not actually happening, but there's something happening that they are picking up on. And Democrats tend to, instead of saying to voters or to parents, hey, <laughs> We understand that you feel like something's changed in your kid's school. <laughs> Should we talk about it? What do you think? Why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Let's talk more about what it is in the curriculum. Oh, you didn't learn about Juneteenth? You didn't learn about the Tulsa 
massacre. Okay, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about let's dialogue about why we're talking to your kids about that, and that it doesn't mean that we think your kids are racist. Whatever. Instead of doing that, the left's attitude generally is something like you're an idiot. Critical race theory is a law school concept. You don't understand. And that's not happening. And basically, you know, to hell with you. And that is so alienating to voters who are moderate voters. But more importantly, it creates this weird feedback loop where the racists who are driving, say, the rhetoric around critical race theory get to keep hiding out because the left is creating a context instead of really, really rooting them out and saying, let's break this down and let's approach this interaction with the idea that we're not going to condescend to you and that maybe there is something in your mind that is moderate voters, right? Not everyone on the right is in the Trump cult. A lot of them are, but what if moderate voters are just looking for the lesser of two evils? But I, I think, unfortunately, Democrats actually really hurt their own causes and, and do themselves in with the way that they meet these people in, in the town square. Lucy Caldwell, we only have a couple more minutes, and I'm going to do something that's patently unfair, but there is just massive uh, lack of clarity as to what is going to happen around presidential nominees, candidates, politics for the 24 election on both sides with Democrats and Republicans. The New York Times came out, showed that two-thirds of Democrats don't, or more than two-thirds of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run for re-election, which is a huge statistic, came out today. Um, and Donald Trump is deeply unpopular. He shares the same lackluster popularity as 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 Biden. What do you think is going to happen on the Republican side around nominees for president in 2024? I hope that Donald Trump is the nominee. <laughs> I hope he's the nominee. Because I think that if someone like Ron DeSantis or Josh Hawley is the nominee, it's over. Donald Trump is a person who lacks impulse control. He is a person whose weaknesses we know. It will be an uphill battle. But what we all, people who are fans of democracy, and I get a lot of flack for saying this, and I'm prepared to keep getting flack for saying this, I think that we should hope for a Trump Republican nominee. Because if we have a DeSantis nominee or a Josh Hawley, those people are as authoritarian as Trump is but they are like, you know, Manchurian candidate 2.0, right? They are polished versions of Trump who have impulse control, who don't have the same kind of scandals, and they will be much more formidable. So every time that it seems like Donald Trump is sucking the oxygen out of the room and causing people like DeSantis or Holly to think, oh, it's not my turn. I'm just going to wait this out. I think that's, one of our best hopes for hopefully being in a position to uh, beat back this horrible anti-democratic proto-fascist Republican Party. That's discouraging news or a discouraging take, but I think that's the best we can hope for. Lucy Caldwell, thank you so much for being with us. We'll be right back. Thanks for having me. is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Martha Graham, Mum and Shants, Blind Boys, Cherish the Ladies, Peking Acrobats, Ukraine Philharmonic, Nikki, and Stomp. All on their way to the UMass Fine Arts Center. Mum and Shants in their 50th year. Cherish the Ladies, A Celtic Christmas. The Martha Graham Dance Company with the Lost Graham Masterwork Canticle for Innocent Comedians. Snarky Puppy unleashes their ferocious improvisation. Nikki shines a ray of pop sunshine. And Gina Chavez blends the sound of the Americas with tension and grace. Dance, classical, jazz, theater, plus performances you just can't categorize. Stomp arrives for 
three performances. Head-turning trumpeter Sean Jones leads his quartet on stage, plus visits the UMass High School Jazz Festival. Plan now for a season of uplifting arts performances. Go to the UMass Fine Arts Center website for the full calendar and tickets. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirits. There's custom glass issues. So anything that comes in custom glass is having trouble globally. There was an American whiskey that was the bottle was causing a holdup that was hard to get, right? What one was that? Bullet bourbon. Oh, yeah, right. Which is a custom glass issue. You know, they have all the stuff. Most of these whiskeys are 3, 4, 10, 18 years old. Way before COVID, way before any supply chain issue so it's not a production issue it's a bottling and shipping issue we're tasting whiskey today and these are all gonna be single malts but a lot of the famous single malts we're used to ordering them a certain way but we can't order them in that way because they're not getting in enough of those things so the price will go up 20 25 30 dollars on the shelf we're not gonna pass that on to the consumers we're just gonna go we don't have it but we have other options these are single malt whiskey alternatives I like cheap find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for caregivers, exercise classes to blow off steam, even Reiki. It's all free. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Monty, I thought you were going to go with some cool world music track there. This is Underground System, who Laudable Productions is bringing to the Drake a week from this Thursday, July 21st. Ooh, so you did it. I beat you to you, the punch. You did it. On <laughs> on the show for this next segment, Cassandra Holden, who is kind of a, becoming a music producer icon. The history books will show someday that Cassandra reshaped the face of music in in the valley. All right, you can do. You can. Okay, I'm it's it great. Out. Okay, I'm okay, fading okay. It. okay. Uh, Cassandra, welcome to the show. Before before we jump in, I just want to point out to listeners: if you don't know, Northampton has enjoyed these sort of peaks and valleys in terms of being a vibrant live music city, and and that's because, um, and I, I I'm not a professional at this, Monty, but I've been told this that because of the ge geography, because you've got sort of. New York, Boston, and it's only a couple hours to sort of z jog up this way. Very often, historically, Northampton for, for generations has gotten some really outsized talent that just sort of weaves Northampton into their tour, often on a weeknight because it kind of, while they're building the big cities on weekends or Montreal, New York, it's like a real stopover town. And there's been times when there's just been extraordinary music in this town. And then there's been times when it's been a little meh. And of course, we've got some of the controversial stuff around some of the local venue owners who are not particularly liked by the uh, by the the artists. Um, and there was a lack of venue space for like the kinds of music that maybe steps outside of the box a little bit and and is super creative. And then along comes Bombex, which is this amazing nonprofit um, entity in Florence over over the past year. That's an offshoot of, it's from Laudable Productions, which Cassandra is the co-CEO of, or of some sort. And, uh, and, and so in this context, this has been a really exciting thing that has come to the Valley. You'll see my bias. I'm a big fan of live music, but not without controversy and not without, um, you know, not without having to go through some of the growing pains that come with, uh, with change, change. So Cassandra Holden is here today to talk about the latest, and it's not really, controversy is not fair, but just. It's, it's not a controversy. Not it's, a controversy. It's municipal process. Like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Work, it's a concert-versy. <laughs> Oh, it's a no, concert no, no, I told you none of that. <laughs> no, not controversy, but just no, sometimes people disagree and it's okay. That's called democracy. And you then you sort it out. And the Legislative Matters Committee hearing is tonight. Um, and Cassandra's going to tell you a little bit about that. And, it, and it's a precursor to the Thursday City Council meeting where some of the future of this live music and what's going to be happening in Florence is going to be playing out. Cassandra, what's going on? Sure. So... Tonight's meeting um, is the third of three opportunities for public comment on uh, the zoning change that Bombex has requested in Florence. So um, 
we'll, we'll get into some like super exciting technical things about city planning. And uh, one of them is that um, churches and schools can be situated in any, any zoning district. You can drop one of those into a, uh, a residential zone and that's considered acceptable um, because the uses of those spaces are very clearly defined and the you know, need and desire for those spaces is sort of understood to be universal and good. However, um, in this project where we're taking the historic Florence Congregational Church and we're transforming it into a multi-use space, obviously, you know, it's still the home to two active congregations. There's a preschool there. And now we're adding these additional uses of it becoming a performing arts center and also a commercial kitchen. Um, now, you know, it doesn't sit as well in the the prescribed zoning of that that area. So what we're asking is that the um, office industrial zoning, which is the zoning that abuts the property on three sides, be extended so that um, the uses that these new uses, you know, as a performing arts space and as a commercial kitchen are then permitted within the building so that we have these, you know, multiple sources of revenue to support this property to keep it alive. And so at the, at the really simple level, though, in terms of how it would impact like concert goers or people who live nearby, what are the fundamental differences as it relates to the, your music for between residential and commercial? Um, okay, so first of all, we're not getting zoned commercial. It's office industrial. That's okay. It's a detail, but it's an important one. Um, and basically the, the difference is that, um, for concert goers, like the concerts are not permitted in the current zoning, <clears throat> um, you know, that would, so, so it's a game changer. It's, it's a game changer. Because it's a church yeah. and it's a preschool, right? Like worship is permitted and the sort of rites of passage and activities around that are permitted. And then, um, you know. The, because there's a preschool there, those activities are permitted, but having concerts, you know, sort of falls outside of the scope. So it's, ex so it's existential. Zoning in order yeah. to be able to do this work that we've been doing. Right. And there's been um, some debate over how late the shows should be able to go. Right. And from my understanding is Bombex has never said, oh, these should be late shows. They're just, they're trying to figure out a, a time that's reasonable. Is that I'm just yeah, you know, we've we've had a couple of in-person meetings with the neighbors, which are, you know, friendly and an opportunity to sort of share information and concerns. Um, you know, there's also a sort of group email thread where we we are also, you know, in the in these conversations. Um, you know, the the specifics of how late concerts go is actually handled by the licensing department, which is different. Like once we Fingers crossed, um, you know, once we have this zoning change approved, then we have a follow up conversation with the mayor's office and the, you know, the terms of like how late and how loud and how often that gets addressed in licensing. Right. But I'm going to stop you just because we're going to run out of time, Sandra. Yeah. I think what's really important for the audience to know is that what I think is very cool about Laudable and Bombex is that it's been made very clear to me that there's no desire on the part of the concert producers to like have concerts that go to midnight or even that go to oh, 11. Yeah. But so I think it's really important that if you support live music and you care about it, that you should go to this legislation matters committee hearing tonight, which is on Skype. Can you tell people how to join it? Yeah. So it's a little tricky because it's, it's buried deep in the uh, municipal website. Um, but I can um, share a link with you if you want to post it in the comments and then you just, you know, you, you hop on Zoom at 5.30 and, um, you know, you get so to participate in, Okay, you know, 5.30 and it'll be process. in the, it'll be on. Yep, send me the link and I'll make sure to put it up with this podcast right after the show is On over. the WHMP website. WHMP.com. Awesome. Cassandra Holden, thank you so much for joining us. We have a really good Black in the Valley today. I'm Josh Silver in for Bill Newman. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Now the latest from WHMP, I'm Monty Belmonte, in for Jess Tyler. Overnight, firefighters in Springfield battled a fire between Dwight Street and Marble Street. Two floors of the apartment building were engulfed in flames. Only one resident was home and escaped the fire with no injuries. The cause of the fire has not yet been released. 
Laurel Lake in Irving State Forest is now open for swimming again after the Eastern Franklin County Health District office said that bacteria levels are back down. The lake had been closed for about a week due to high bacteria levels and is now open for swimming again. This summer, Senator Joe Comerford and her team will be photographing the unique beauty in the district, which her office says holds 25 of the most beautiful towns in the state. Senator Comerford is taking public suggestions on memorable features in Franklin County in order to tell the story of her district. You can find more information and share suggestions on what Senator Comerford and her team should capture on the senator's Facebook page. Keats Brook Road in Burniston will be closed today for tree removals. Eversource has contracted Northern Tree for tree removal and trimming around power lines. Work scheduled to take place between now and 3 p.m. There have been five newly confirmed COVID cases in Franklin County as of Thursday. No new deaths have been reported. WHMP Sports, Jeter Downs, bases loaded blooper dropped in to break a sixth inning tie as the Boston Red Sox scored nine unanswered runs to rally past the Yankees, 11-6. Novak Djokovic has won Wimbledon. He's got 21 major trophies, putting him just one behind his rival, Rafael Nadal's 22 for the most in the history of men's tennis. Tracking a warm start to the work week for today, mostly sunny, highs 84 to 88. And they look for Tuesday, sunshine and clouds, hot and humid with afternoon showers and thunderstorms, highs around 90. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rechivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La ciudad de Holyoke está solicitando la participación del público en una encuesta que está diseñada para los residentes y electores de Holyoke sobre la recuperación de COVID-19. Como incentivo, se está ofreciendo un almuerzo con el alcalde de Holyoke, Joshua García, o una tarjeta de regalo de 200 dólares. La ciudad de Holyoke recibió más de 40 millones de dólares en fondos de recuperación fiscal local y estatal de coronavirus de la Ley del Plan de Rescate Estadounidense del Tesoro de los Estados Unidos para ayudar en la recuperación de la pandemia de COVID-19. La primera mitad de los fondos de ARPA se proporcionó a proyectos como subvenciones para pequeñas empresas, infraestructura de agua y alcantarillado, desarrollo de viviendas asequibles, organizaciones sin fines de lucro para mejorar sus instalaciones y servicios de salud mental el año pasado. La ciudad, a través de la Oficina de Desarrollo Comunitario, está realizando una encuesta para comprender mejor las necesidades de la comunidad para la próxima ronda de financiación. La ciudad está invitando al público a que participe en la encuesta comunitaria de ARPA, disponible escaneando un código QR o en línea. De igual forma, también puede solicitar una copia en papel llamando al 413-322-5610 o en holyoke.org. En otras informaciones, el presidente Joe Biden entregó la medalla presidencial de la libertad, el mayor honor civil de la nación, en una ceremonia que brindó un momento de bienestar para una Casa Blanca que lidia con encuestas que indican que una abrumadora mayoría de estadounidenses piensa que el país está en el camino equivocado y tiene bajos índices de aprobación para Biden. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Josh Silver in for Bill Newman with a very special Black in the Valley today. We've got Carly Tartikoff, who's going to be taking over the reins here and leading the conversation along with Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and a special guest, Earl Miller. Carly, what do you got? Yes, I am so pleased to introduce to you Mr. Earl Miller. He is a newly appointed director of a newly established department in the town of Amherst named CRESS, and that stands for Community Responders for Equity, Safety, and Service. CRESS, I love that name. Um, so anyway, I'd, I'd like you to start, Earl, and tell us why this department was established. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you all today. Um, so Crest comes out of the larger national conversation that started after the murder of George Floyd. And, um, you know, I don't think we, we want to turn our heads from that. There are a lot of folks of color who, for a lot of legitimate reasons, you know, myself included at various points in my life, um, have had mistrust issues with the police. 
Um, they have not always served our communities or, or served us individually. So uh, Crest comes out of that idea, although uh, we've really grown it and expanded the idea to also um, other folks in our community who are, are often not served by existing structures. So uh, folks with mental health challenges, folks experiencing homelessness, uh, and just folks who You're frozen. The Wi-Fi, the Amherst yeah, Monson Library is a little bit delayed, it seems. Well, that's the problem with Amherst, I'll tell you. I know. Right? So, there, so, there, so there, sorry. He's back again. <laughs> so sorry. Are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, oh. So, yeah, uh, you know, really to to meet the needs of folks and, and to be, you know, to expand the idea of public safety in Amherst is really our goal. So... What are the needs in Amherst? Yeah, uh, there are a lot. Um, there's a, a real issue around housing, uh, affordable housing, which is a national issue these days, um, but is most likely to be felt by folks with vouchers, uh, folks who are receiving Section 8 or any other subsidy who are really struggling to find places that can rent to them here. Um, for mental health, uh, the service providers are, are strapped. There are not enough folks to do the work. Uh, there are not enough folks uh, at the provider agencies to meet their needs. Um, and for folks of color, there are not a lot of folks of color in mental health roles in, in Western Mass or in the country period. So often you're getting these services from someone who has never lived where you lived, never experienced the things that you have and um, learned about them from a book, which can be helpful. Um, but when you're really trying to dig into your gut, you want someone who who has a real uh, emotionally intelligent sense of your life and, and folks struggle with that. And I know that- um, Go ahead, Jacqueline. You can't see me, but you can hear me I because I hear you. When you say that it has expanded, one of the things that this country has been accused of in um, going about transformation is that of easing race out and, and consolidating all of the other social issues that it has failed to take care of. How do you see the possibility? We know the possibility is, is there. What do you what what do you say to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because I think it's one of the ones that people feel but struggle to put into words. Um, I, I am a, a black man who grew up in Hampton County. Uh, I've experienced stop and frisk. Uh, I've experienced. I lived in Lyman Terrace and Holyoke for years. Uh, what it's like when the police don't come as swiftly as they might in other communities. Um, you know, our tact isn't to uh, push race out of it, but it's to address all those things with a kind of racial equity lens. Um, to to acknowledge that you know the first mental health diagnosis in this country was runaway slave syndrome. It is deeply mm. embedded in our our roots of our systems. Um, housing, the way that black and brown GIs were excluded from GI bills, the way that redlining is directly correlated with negative health outcomes in this country. Um, for us, looking at these other issues is in a way of easing the conversation on race. It's a way of being honest about what that has impacted our communities. Um, when we talk about uh, folks coming out of jails, uh, we know that those folks have had um, less access to to just physical health. They've had less access to education and by the nature of their incarceration, they're going to have less access to housing and mental health and every other uh, kind of support that folks in this country thrive on. Um, you can't have a conversation about any of the systems that help people stay together without having a brave and honest conversation about the way that inequity was baked into those. You know, when we talk about the lack of black and brown providers, um, that's because the educational system has deprioritized us from the very beginnings. The, the, the inequities in, in maternal uh, outcomes the inequities in just life, you know, just by the nature of being a black man from Holyoke, my life is likely to be shorter than my peers. Um, you know, so it isn't it isn't ignoring that or not having that conversation. Uh, frankly, it's 
having all those conversations in the realm of how are they, how did, were they designed uh, to, to support or not support black and brown folks and how do those inequities still live inside of them? So um, I'll tell you, there's a lot of folks who are a little bit annoyed with us because we, we want to have those conversations with everybody who comes to us. And um, our folks are in eight weeks of training right now. They finished the first week last week. Um, we've asked every trainer who comes in here to speak to the reality of race and the topic that they train on because uh, it's important to us. It's also really important to us that we acknowledge that, you know, this isn't to get rid of it, but also to say that gender matters in this conversation. The way that black women have been treated is different than the way black men have, not better, um, but to have a conversation about the way that the needs of black and brown women are often pathologized or often seen as symptoms of some illness as opposed to a natural, normal response to being ignored uh, systemically on every level for your entire life it's 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 uh, i love that james baldwin quote right to be black in america is to be in a rage all the time yeah and, and i'm glad you you interjected that because i was going to add that as one of the other descriptors of black women and what about the angry black woman what about it yeah i i i think you know one of the things we we're really thinking a lot about is how um you know, as a, as a person of color in this country, your anger is so often seen as toxic as opposed to normal. It is normal when you see yourself not reflected back in the, the power structures of, of your, your country or your area or your town um, to feel like, how could those people ever care about me? Um, and to be upset about that isn't, um, isn't a mental health concern. It's it's a natural, normal reaction. I uh, before I took this job, I worked at the Department of Mental Health, and uh, you know, a large part of my thing, my time being there, was the only time that I saw people who looked like me was when we were talking about the people we served. Uh, it was, you know, I did not go out to breakfast or go to social events with folks. I, I just never, um, you know, as a younger black man in a structure that is primarily white women, it was often uh, I didn't get that kind of vicarious social mentoring. So uh, it impacts everyone. And, and I'm not surprised or shocked or um, troubled by the anger of folks. I think it's, it, it has to be acknowledged. I have, I have so a, some people uh, ask, I'm sorry. what qualifies you to lead this important work? So I'll start off by saying I all of this is a hope, right? This is a great experiment, kind of like the whole country. So um, what what I think qualifies me for it is that I've lived under these structures. Um, I have had mental health challenges my entire life. And, um, you know, I grew up in foster care. And uh, when we talk about inequities, you know, I was a black boy in foster care, which meant that I was unadoptable, uh, which meant that I often lived in residential programs because families were were not likely to see me as reflective of their family unit. Um, I have struggled. I've been a single father living in public housing in Western Mass. I, I understand what that, that means for folks. Um, and on the professional side, uh, I started my work in community activism. I, I ran a center in downtown Springfield. We had 60 to 100 homeless people every day. Um, and I never had to call the police once because we were able to build a community that took care of itself. Uh, and while at that job, I started a housing program uh, called Finding Shelter Through Peer Support, where we were able to house over 100 people um, with no state funding, with only kind of private grant stuff. And, and then I went to DMH and I learned how uh, the big systems work. And uh, I think what qualifies me most is that um, this opportunity doesn't scare me. Um, and I think that it would be really easy to scare someone off. Um, for me, uh, I see myself reflected in the people we aspire to help. Uh, and I think that that's meaningful, but give me a couple of years and I'll tell you if I was the right person or not. Earl, I have a, I have a question about the role of the Amherst police in, in your program. Uh, how do you work with them? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So we really see ourselves as the third leg of public safety. Um, there are going to be calls in this town where it is appropriate for the police to respond, and there are going to be calls where it's appropriate for the fire department or EMTs to respond. Um, we see our role with them uh, as we see our role with every other department in this town uh, to help them improve. Uh, we think that we are going to uh, set a really strong course and that we can help uh, all agencies kind of develop how they communicate with with communities of, of color and and all sorts of communities um our relationship is collaborative uh, we've had lots of conversations they've been incredibly helpful um, our dispatch system is a, a huge byproduct of dispatch in the pd um, but we are a co-equal branch um, which means that you know we don't 
we, we can have real honest conversations uh, and some conversations that uh, frankly don't make sense to happen publicly. But uh, one of the things I'll tell you about in Amherst is that I, I believe deeply in, in Chief Livingstone. Uh, I find him to be a humble man. I think he's uh, he could have been obstructive in this. Uh, there are lots of communities that have this conversation. Their police department stopped them. Uh, he never did. Uh, I think he realizes that that there are some calls they're taking today that don't make sense for them. Um, and so I, I would say on our end, we anticipate taking some things off their plate that never should have been there. Uh, I think the bigger question when I think about that is, when did we as a society decide that the answer to every problem in our community was gonna be a person with a gun? And I think the police uh, nationally have those same conversations. So um, it is warm, it is collaborative, and honestly, I'm incredibly respectful uh, I have a lot of respect for them and the way that they go about. Um, there hasn't been a person shot by the police in at least 50 years. Um, that's kind of where our records go back to. Uh, they don't want the sort of conflict that you see in other communities either, which is why I think our opportunity is so great. We're listening. Um, Thanks, Earl. This is good. It's so good. We are going to come back after the break. You're listening to Black in the Valley. I'm Josh Silver. In for Bill Newman. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell Therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic, the best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A Therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We've got Black in the Valley for our final segment, continuing an incredibly fascinating and important conversation with Earl Miller, the director of Crest, which is one of the first times in our nation's history where a smallish city has an alternate agency that can be sent to the signs of nonviolent and 
other incidences where people call the police or call the dispatch 911 and it's not necessarily the best thing to send a cop with a gun and it's really important and it's innovative and it's right here in the valley Jacqueline Smith Crooks over to you yes uh, we were chatting over the break and what occurred to me was the question of whether none uh, we'll say income-based or mental health-based uh, events occur in the community and there are other policies in addition to the policing policies um, that exist in our community are you going to be part of or is your work going to stretch into those other departments that try to ensure equity um, and safety and service on the part of the town? So I can say absolutely. Um, we see ourselves as partners with everybody in town. So, um, you know, we're not just looking at kind of uh, what shows up as a potential 911 call, but where can we be supportive so it never turns into a 911 call? The other piece I just want to put a plug in for is that as we're standing up, uh, Amherst has also stood up a, a Department of uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion uh, led by Pamela uh, Young, who just left the University of Notre Dame in a similar role. Um, we're also having conversations about reparations. Um, this is a time for communities to be kind of searching and fearless in how they're going to deal with these issues. And I can't speak to any other community, but Amherst is. Uh, and Northampton is joining us in this adventure. Northampton is standing up a department. Uh, their director's name is Sean Donovan. Him and I worked together for many years. I have a great deal of respect for him. They're taking a public health approach. Uh, we'll let the work see which approach is, makes the most sense. I, I, I'll tell you, I got a lot of skin in the game that it's the public safety one, though. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to ask, uh, are there particular needs that a town like Amherst, considered a college town, should be prepared for as compared to or contrasted with surrounding areas, including Northampton? Yeah, I think economic inequity is something we don't talk about enough, but actually there's a lot of data that tells us that poverty and isolation uh, doesn't have the same corresponding uh, violence or community uh, entangled, like in, in these, these places where people can't figure out how to work together. Um, and Amherst is a town in which if you are poor, you are having a really weird experience because you are seeing lots of people who are not. Um, you are seeing lots of people who have what they need in the world. Um, and I would say our, our challenge with the colleges is the same as, as every other town that has one. Um, these kids are being put under a tremendous amount of pressure um, every day. They are often for the first time experimenting with substance use, with alcohol, with marijuana. And for the vast majority of them, it won't be an issue. They'll figure out what works for them and they'll move forward. But for a small amount, um, they will have a big life disruption. And, um, and also the community around them, you know, recognizing that for all the kids in our town, and I'm, you know, elementary school to college, they have had a rough few years here. Um, and seeing them as kids who are coming out of trauma, out of a traumatic incident, I think of the college seniors we have coming in next year. Uh, for the vast majority of them, the last time that school it looked anything like it used to, they were sophomores in high school and now they'll be living in our town on their own. I don't know how you get through that, but we, we plan to be helpful as, as much as we can. Earl, what Sounds do you- Sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Um, <laughs> how are you viewing yourself within the context of all of these changes with the intention of transformation? Yeah, I, I am a, I'm a history dork. That's one of the things I value in myself. And the last time that this country was looking at public safety, the last time Amherst had a new public safety department, there were horse and buggies, and I would not have been eligible to be in the leadership of that department. Um, so I recognize that what I have is a historical opportunity. And uh, I was having this conversation with my daughter yesterday because she was asking, why are you doing all this work? And, you know, I think very rarely in our lives do we get the chance to look at the thing in the face that's going to define us. And when they put me in the ground, hopefully in Holyoke, hopefully looking over the hill, uh, they'll call me the crest director. And now I get to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that wakes me up in the morning, uh, a little bit scared, but right up. 
Um, and I, I, I take care of my family. You know, I really, the thing that keeps me going is reminding me that I'm doing this for something. I'm doing this so that when my daughters are 18, uh, they don't have to worry, at least in Amherst, about the what it looks like when someone shows up to help them who doesn't have the tools to help them. Um, so I, I'm really fueled by the work. Uh, and my main issue right now is making sure that I don't work 24 seven. So uh, having the kid around really helps with that. Earl, what do you, what do you say? One to, last oh, I'm sorry. That I'll ask oh, and I'll okay. leave the floor for others. Um, when, when we talk about uh, PEP and our steps in terms of theory, what kind of funding is behind this to support it? And the, the long-term funding. So really yeah. importantly, our salaries are funded out of the town budget, um, which means that they do have some permanence, right? Amherst is older than the country. Um, we have some funding from DPH, um, and we had some allotments from uh, some of our legislators that allowed us to pay for our space and some cars that we'll have uh, long term. Uh, we'll need to prove that we can do the work to validate getting more money, but I think that's the best place it can be. And uh, we're eligible for all sorts of new federal and state grants. And we've really taken the tact of making sure our responders are ready to go. And we know what we do before we ask for more money. Um, the solution to our problems is people, not money. And so we want to make sure that every dollar we ask for has uh, a meaningful purpose person behind it providing impactful services in the community so um, funding wise we're solid and we hope to get more solid and I'd like to know what who are your team oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they just started last week um, they are eight folks uh, my, my program assistant Kat Newman is sitting up we're in the Munson library upstairs space <laughs> um, there are folks who worked in the schools. We have someone who used to work at uh, Western New England University, someone who worked at Amherst High School. We have uh, two recent college graduates, fairly new, uh, two, uh, a father in our community, a gentleman who works in, who uh, has worked in some prison programs in Kenya. Um, we, we are a, a diver as diverse as our community. Um, our skill sets are, are diverse, but everybody on this team, the main thing we look for with them was a commitment to do the work in the right way, even when it was hard. And you only do that if you really care. Mm. Eric, How we, do we, we only contact? have, yeah, I was about to say, Jacqueline, we only have a minute, but, uh, for those who want more information, I think, Jack, I, I think, uh, Carly was about to say the same thing. How do we find out more about Crest and is Crest going to possibly be happening a version of it in Northampton in 40 seconds or less? Yeah, so uh, AmherstMA.gov um, is our town website, and if you go on there, Crest has a page. Uh, if you look on there next week, you should start to see profiles of the responders. Um, and, you know, my email address is MillerE at AmherstMA.gov. Looking forward to hear from folks. Northampton does have a similar department coming up, although more on public health and public safety, and um, we intend to partner with them in any community that intends to join us in this experiment. Uh, we are building something that you cannot just follow but learn from because we this work will only work if it if it happens in more places than just our backyard earl miller carly tartikoff jacqueline smith crooks thank you so much i'm josh silver in for bill newman it's been fun we'll be back tomorrow Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.com. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.